In today's episode, we have Roseanne Capanna-Hodge. She's an integrative and pediatric mental health expert and founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. She's an educational psychologist, a therapist, and board certified in neurofeedback. Her work has helped thousands reverse the most challenging conditions from ADHD, anxiety, mood, Lyme, and more using proven holistic therapies. In today's episode, she will be teaching us all about Lyme disease and tick-borne disease, and a little bit about neurofeedback. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Would you like to sleep deeper, stress less, and feel incredible every single day? You can! Introducing Rooted In's line of totally unique magnesium-infused body butters that give you more nourishing, sustainable vitality. Magnesium completely changed my life, and I know it can change yours too. So if you're ready to experience lasting relief and unlock your body's true potential, then visit BeRootedIn.com and use code HEALTHY to save $10 on any one of our three revolutionary creams. Plus, I'll ship it to you for free. Make a change for the better and visit BeRootedIn.com. Don't wait because we sell out regularly. Welcome to the Kakatibi Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Roseanne. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm so grateful to be here and have this conversation about Lyme disease and infectious disease and how it affects mental health. You do so many things from an educational psychologist and neurofeedback. Could you take us through your journey and why you were specifically drawn to your areas of specialty? Yeah, well, I was drawn to my areas of specialty because my clients or patients, whatever you like to call them, they led me there. So, you know, I have only ever used proven scientifically backed therapies. And guess what? That means that I'm using natural therapies. And so, you know, I'm the daughter of Italian immigrants. I, you know, really only wanted to ever be a therapist and a psychologist. And I started working with kids. And I quickly realized that really where my superpower was, was working with quote unquote complex cases, layered cases. Everybody still comes to me, thinks their case is the most complex case ever. Um, And that's just sort of what I do because I'm great at peeling back the layers and getting to root causes, right? And, And in mental health, we don't focus in physical health. We don't focus on root causes. And so, you know, over time, um, many, many years ago, 24 years ago, my, I got my first Lyme disease patient. And um, actually what happened was I was working the school and there was a kid who came in with a diagnosis of chronic Lyme. And I had never heard of something like this, right? 24, 25 years ago, never heard of it. And, you know, what were his symptoms? His symptoms were he um, was had all these auditory and sensory, you know, uh, sensitivities. He was highly anxious. He had uh, nervous system dysregulation that showed up with sleep problems and learning problems and all these things and he couldn't come to school and he was a teenager. And I thought, wow, I mean, I know a lot of kids like this. I mean, you know, he's got infectious disease that is causing this. He actually had a port 
um, to get antibiotics in. And so he really was my first eye opener and started making me think differently and, and really understanding that, you know, wow, it's not all genetic. It's not all biochemical. It's not all trauma. There is a whole other world out there. And so I just started to open my eyes. And when I was working in private practice, I saw more and more and more of this. And now, you know, 25 years later, I specialize um, in pants pandas um, and Lyme disease as well, but a lot of other more complex issues, um, whether it's concussion or seizures or neurodevelopmental disorders like ADHD and, and autism. That's what I do because that's what I love because there is nobody that I believe that can't get better. Can you tell us a little bit about what Lyme disease is? And I know that there's different symptoms to each stage. Yeah. So, you know, Lyme disease, first of all, I just have to say is a very misunderstood disease. And what I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions around ticks, about how you get Lyme disease, what it looks like. And this is such a barrier for people to get appropriate treatment. It is unbelievable. And these misconceptions are um, shared widely and, you know, from people who are not medical to people who are in the medical field who are not educating people. So, you know, Lyme disease as well as we broaden this, we say tick-borne disease, right? So Lyme is one type of tick-borne illness. Now, this is surprising to people, but more insects than ticks carry Lyme disease, okay? Um, and things like spiders can carry it. Um, there's been other documentation of mosquitoes and other things, but ticks are the primary one. So a tick bites you, and this is the one of the biggest misconceptions is that people think a tick has to be engorged and they think it has to be on you a certain amount of time. I've heard 24 hours. I've heard 48 hours. The moment a tick bites you people, it empties the contents of its stomach in you. And depending on where you are, the research says anywhere from 30 to 95% of the time, a tick will carry one or more tick-borne illness. Okay, so the region I live, they did studies a little bit more than 10 years ago, and they found that on average, it was about 90 to 91% of the ticks carried a tick-borne illness. Okay, so you got a, you got a 90% chance that it's going to do that. So what happens in the body when that tick bites you is different, right? So please know we all have infections. So what is Lyme disease? It's a disease, right? There's different stages. So there's early Lyme disease, um, stage one where um, they actually call it early stage Lyme, where you get bitten by a tick and you're going to have a variety of symptoms, okay? And then we're going to talk about late stage Lyme disease. And one of the biggest fallacies is you, you, few people get late stage. That is not true. We don't know the percentages, but what we do know is that as little as two weeks after a tick bite, you can go into late stage Lyme disease. So let's talk about symptoms that you're going to see. So there are physical, right, symptoms, there are cognitive, and there are psychiatric symptoms that you can see in all, both of those stages. So if you're lucky enough to get bitten by a tick that carries something like lorichiosis, why do I say you're lucky? If you're going to get bit, you want to know you were bit. And people with lorichiosis, they're going to have a high fever. 
And so you can have high fevers, you can have rashes, which is actually not as common as people think. And um, a bullseye, the research says, occurs anywhere from 12 to 30% of the time. Okay, so don't expect a bullseye, people, right? And um, so you also can get many other kind of rashes, like rashes that look like a viral rash. So if people know they get bitten by a tick, they get treatment, and they get treated in that first two weeks, um, and it, and the, the period could be a little longer for other people, um, you are, if you're given at least 30 days of antibiotics treatment, big, big um, fallacy is that one day treatment or two weeks treatment is enough. The science behind a, t- a tick bite is they are, um, you have a spirochete and a spirochete is what does all this damage and has all these evolutionary skills to survive within your body, including a screw-in mechanism where it screws inside a cell and hides. Um, that spirochete takes 28 days to cycle. So if you give it less than 28 days of antibiotics, you will not kill it. Okay. And this is even an early stage. So, so you can have headaches, you can have anxiety, you can have OCD onset. I mean, you name it, just think about all the ways that it can show up depending on which type of tick-borne illness you have. And, and know there are hundreds of tick-borne illnesses. So we, we hear about Lyme. Sometimes we're hearing more about Bartonella and Babesia, the two Bs. They're very heavy, heavily psychiatrically impacted. They impact people on a psychiatric level, so more people talk about them. And then the late stage. So late stage, because these are such genetically evolved creatures, <laughs> bacteria, cat, um, that you know, we know for sure that they there's at least evidence that they came over in 1492, but they're saying they date to prehistoric times that they're finding evidence of ticks carrying tick-borne illness as late as, as early as prehistoric times, which is shocking to people. Um, but that's how genetically evolved this bacteria is. And its closest cousin is syphilis. And it's 40 times more comp- genetically complex than syphilis. So this these bacteria know how to do it. So late stage could show up quick. You could all of a sudden start getting anxiety. It could show up months, weeks, or years later. You can have everything from... Um, you know, physical and motor ticks. You can have coordination issues. You can have joint pain. You can have brain fog. Um, you can get symptoms that look like multiple sclerosis. I mean, lupus. Um, and you can have a loss of skills, like a loss of reading or writing, um, coordination, you name it. So it's a pretty wide area of symptoms, which is also part of the reason why it's often missed cats. So what parts of the United States seem to have more tick-borne illness? Yeah. So first of all, tick-borne illness is on every continent except Antarctica. So that's another huge fallacy. Um, We also tend to think that tick-borne illnesses are not in warm climate states like Texas or California or Florida. They are. But there are 14 states in the United States that are largely in the Northeast, but California is one of them. Um, And, you know, people think that ticks don't survive in the cold. They actually can do really well in the cold when it snows. They can hide under the snow. Um, And, you know, um, deer are primary way that they're carried. They're, They're actually the most primary way is rodents. 
So people don't realize that, you know, that it can occur in a city. Um, I'm, I'm not far from New York City and I get people from New York City all the time um, because they're, they can't really get good providers in New York City. Well, there are, there are. But um, so any of these areas that when we say it's an endemic uh, area. There are 14 endemic areas where it's just really, they should call them an epidemic areas. Like where I live, Kat, this is springtime. Springtime is the worst time of year for ticks. Okay. They are in a nymph stage and they are hungry and they want to attach to anything. And they have, they're very fast. Um, they can jump they can jump off the trees into your hair um, and, you know, they want to grab on and latch on. And, and uh, they can go from, you know, the, the bottom of your leg and crawl up and get to the back of your head much quicker than you possibly can imagine. Um, but, you know, where I live, if I walked out right now and went on the grass, the grass, not the woods, I would have a tick on me. That's how aggressive they are. That's how active they are in some of these areas. And they, they just did this, um, one of the major publications just did a big whole story about how ticks are really just very, very at a high rate in the, anywhere in the United States in the beach grasses. So they love tall grasses and people will be like, wow, we're at the beach. It's hot. You don't see ticks, but you know, they're there. And that's okay, why prevention so. is very important. I know it's terrifying. I look at it as an Atari <laughs> game when I get out there. I'm always afraid. But prevention is really critical. The number one way to stop Lyme disease is to prevent getting bit by a tick. That's the number one thing you can do. And so, um, and that means uh, Lyme Connection, you can follow their BLAST protocol. You can just go to LymeConnection.com and they're a nonprofit and it, you want to bathe you want to spray, you want to trim your yard um, and and have areas that are safer from ticks. You just want to assume wherever you're going out, you know, the number one point of infection is the point where your grass meets the woods. So it's not in the woods. It's not on the grass. It's that area that you're right there. And that's where most people put their swing sets um, or let their kids play. That's the worst area. So Ticks don't like strong sunlight. You want to have things clear cut and ideally fenced in and you want to have your yard sprayed and there's natural sprays and there's not natural sprays. You decide what works best for you. Okay. So this is terrifying. So basically if we go outside, there's a really high probability that we're going to have at some point a tick bite. You're going to have ticks on you. So, so what you want to do, Kat, is you want to spray. You want to choose to either use a natural spray or a deep brace, deep base spray. You don't want both together because uh, essential oils act as a carrier to the brain. So pick one. Which, which both can work. You just want to ap apply liberally. You want to wear long pants. You want to tuck your pants into your socks. Um, and as well as you can spray your clothing um, with something called Promethean, which repels ticks. And then you want to, as soon as you're done being outside, as soon you want to take a bath. It reduces your chance of Lyme disease by 59% cat by taking a bath immediately. Not that evening. And people will say, oh, I just do tick checks. That's not enough. These little guys are so tiny, they can look like a freckle. 
So, um, you know, we're always thinking you're going to see this big thing kind of crawling around by the time it's big, it's engorged. So just, that's really, really important. Go out and, you know, do stuff. I mean, you know, the Hodges, we still, we still do stuff, even though my oldest son was horribly and continues to really, you know, we're on the other side of it, but horribly affected for 14 years with Lyme disease. Um, you know, an absolute nightmare would be what I would describe it, what he has gone through and what we have gone through. Let's say, I know I was bitten by many ticks in my life, yeah. but I didn't, I don't see any actual symptoms. Could yeah. there be something that's like hidden that'll come up later or could there yeah. be weird symptoms that you don't think of as Lyme? Yeah. So such a wonderful question. So, you know, everything I do is, is research informed, you know, anything comes out of my mouth, please know that I've done some research and, you know, I've got this 30 years experience in mental health. And, um, what we know is that there was research done in Bologna, Italy, where they looked at school age children with zero, anything, no mental health problems, no physical problems, no anything. And they ran lab work on them. And what they found is that 25% of them were carrying a tick-borne illness. So the question becomes at what point, right? And you know, Kat, we have things like parasites in our system and we carry different bacteria. I struggle with still carrying Epstein-Barr and herpes 6 and uh, Coxsackie still shows up in my system. So these are just cold viruses, normal things that anybody can have. Um, and, and the Epstein-Barr virus is actually as damaging to, to the nervous system and the brain and the body as tick-borne illnesses. And people don't talk about that. Um, but, you know, at what point do you need to worry? So first of all, are, these things live in balance in our system until you are out of balance. Okay. So what I often see is, you know, people have these tick-borne illnesses and some people's systems are just way more able to mitigate and deal with it. Not everybody who gets a tick bite gets Lyme disease. They just don't. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Are these things possibly living in your system? Of course. At what point do they rise? So, so what are things that I anecdotally can share with you? So I have seen absolutely 100% a connection, hundreds of patients at this point, at least 300 people where I've seen they had a prior, they had a tick bite, they get a head injury of some sort, and then they get, you know, pans, pandas, or chronic Lyme disease. So the question becomes, is it that original tick bite? Was there a tick bite after? We, we can't say that, right? But um, it is something that I very much see. And then I see that people struggle with much more of a chronic condition. And why does that happen? Well, you're, as soon as you get a head injury, you, your blood-brain barrier opens up. And whatever is in your system is going to flood into your brain. And our blood-brain barrier is there to protect us. And yes, there are things we do every day which can erode our blood-brain barrier. Um, but most of the time, this is something that is really effective and tries to keep pathogens and toxins out of your brain, right? So is it possible that you can have an injury or uh, have a physical problem that breaks down your blood brain barrier and you can get your tick-borne illness can activate? Sure. Um, is it possible that it won't? Of course. So we just don't know that. And that's why it's always best to really, especially in this world where everyone is highly stressed, struggling with physical illnesses and mental illness, we've got to adapt 
to adopt and adapt um, into the what's going on in this world. We have to adopt a healthy lifestyle, right? We have to really make that part of what we do to really sort of fend off everything that's going on in the world. And, and that's what really brings great physical and mental health into your life is those lifestyle changes. And that's what I talk a lot about um, in all of my work, but in my book, it's going to be okay. I have a friend that was getting relapsing fevers uh-huh. for like maybe a year or two. And then they stopped completely and like he hasn't had them since. But yeah. I was I was thinking like because he did not get tested for Lyme until after they stopped. So could it have still been Lyme, but then it went into maybe like remission or something and then it doesn't come up on the test. Is that possible? Yes. So – so let's let's unpack that because let's talk about testing. So first of all, Lyme and tick-borne illness, right? Uh, official diagnosis is made through a clinical. It's a clinical diagnosis. Um, and what does that mean? You're looking at the history. You're looking at the symptoms. You are looking at available lab work. But what we know about lab work is that there are some good testing tests available. Um, and they are typically private labs. There's some great labs like... Um, Igenix uh, out of California, the pioneers in lab test in lab testing for tick-borne illness, Galaxy Labs, and other labs. Um, but when you do standard blood work, right? Here's the real problem: standard blood work. It's not that it's not sensitive. It's certainly not as sensitive en- enough as these other labs because of the the way that these cultures are done in Igenix, right? They she's very very advanced. She, this is all that they do. I mean, they're just using very advanced technology. They're staying ahead of the curve. Um, the problem is the person interpreting the labs. Okay. So we do not have highly trained people who are diagnosing Lyme disease. The standard physician is inept. Um, unless they have done more advanced training, what the number one barrier to getting help is improper diagnosis. And what the problem is, nobody can figure this out. I've been involved for almost 25 years in this world, but what what the number one error a physician makes is they're using the CDC criteria for submission into a Lyme rate study, okay, as a diagnostic. And what does that mean? It means that when we look at Lyme disease, there are certain active bands. And in order to be submitted for an official case of Lyme disease, you have to have five out of 10 active bands because uh, standard testing in the United States only shows 10 bands. There could be more. Um, And so doctors have misinterpreted this as this is what you need to be active case of Lyme. First of all, you you don't even need one active band, but if you had three active bands or four active bands, you have Lyme. Okay, so there's this misunderstanding that no matter how much we provide education to our physicians, our general practitioners, our pediatricians, this is not coming across. So the average person takes five to seven physician visits for a textbook standard case of a tick-borne illness in order to get diagnosed. So you can be missed on lab work. And I'll even share with you, you know, my own kid, I, I only went to the top people in, I went to the top pediatric person in, in the world who had already treated 20,000 kids by the time I got to him. Um, and because he happened to be 45 minutes from my house, but I would have went anywhere. Right. And I didn't have a barrier 
to get help, right? So I had the knowledge and I had the money to be able to do it. I would have found it. This is what mamas do, right? And um, and so what happened uh, was the, he had warned me that when you do this advanced testing, which is expensive, it takes years sometimes for the bacteria to show up on a panel. So the way the evasiveness of the bacteria is, it can show up not at all. It can show up as something called indeterminate, meaning we don't know, but it's, it's how it evolves. And it was so fascinating because I, I went to Dr. Charles Ray Jones, who's in his nineties. Um, he was in his mid eighties, you know, early eighties when I started working with them. Um, he would tell me, oh, this test is going to turn positive the next time you come in. Like it was just blew my mind, the level of expertise, because we have the science and we have the art, right? That's why people come to me because I have so much experience. My level of art in helping people is so much more advanced than other practitioners, right? And, and you can get help much quicker when you go to a highly experienced practitioner. So for your friend, he absolutely, you know, you have unrelenting fevers that wax and wane. Um, you know, yes, it could be malaria, but tick-borne illnesses do that, and he could have done things to sort of quieted it down, and it could be dormant, and it won't resurface, but he could go through, he could have COVID, and it could reactivate it. He could have Epstein-Barr and reactivate it. He could have an emotional trauma, and it can reactivate. And, and that's part of the problem, Kat, because people don't make the connection. Oh, that happened years ago, and then this happened. So I, I hope people are listening and, and, and you just flashed into a friend, whether this is yourself or somebody you love and care about. This is why I do these talks, because people spend lifetimes having such severe issues. Um, my, one of my good friends, her, her sister had like 12 years of quote unquote mental health issues. She knew she had chronic Lyme. Um, she was so fatigued all the time. She was unable to work. She was on disability and she left something on the stove and her house burned down and she died. I mean, these are the kind of things that people face, right? From the financial challenges to the physical and mental health challenges without really getting appropriate help. If it's a physical problem causing your mental health, your cognitive, you know, issues, a medical problem, guess what? There's a treatment for it. I also wanted to talk about um, some neuropsychiatric and neurocognitive symptoms from Lyme. Do you think bipolar could be one of them? Yes. Um, so bipolar, absolutely. We know through some, some research um, that bipolar uh, absolutely can result from tick-borne illness. And um, a colleague of mine, just like an amazing woman, she was a psychiatrist, Rosalie Griebaum. She is a psychiatrist. Um, and she was treating for decades, specializing in adolescents with bipolar. And, you know, God bless her. She got a client that got treated for, for tick-borne illness. And lo and behold, his mood disorder disappeared. And she said, as a scientist, what is this in front of me? What, what does this mean? Could it be that my other clients have tick-borne illness that's causing mental health problems? And she began treating. And then she did a small-scale research study with her clients. And she found that 89% of her population of 
diagnosed mood disorder, bipolar adolescents had one or more tick-borne illnesses. And she said, I have to do something different. This is not, if I'm treating, I'm I'm specializing this and 89% of my clients have a tick-borne illness that is causing their mental health problems. I need to do something different. And she really pushed and she became, you know, she is a leader in treating mental health issues with, um, you know, with that people that it's resulting from tick-borne illness. Yeah, because I I really pay attention to people, and I noticed like I had one friend that she went horseback riding. Yeah, she was bitten by a tick. Yeah, you know, it fell off. It was quick. Didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Then she fell off her horse, hit her head, and then got bipolar, like pretty severe bipolar. Yeah. And I'm well, just that's like hundred percent of TBI. That's post concussion syndrome. Okay. So, I mean, that happens just as much. They they believe that 64% of homeless people have a head injury. That's the research says. I mean, our, you know, when you go to the jails and the prisons, you're you're filled with people with PTSD and head injuries and, you know, you it is a known fact to have a, a dramatic personality change after a head injury. Um it is very fascinating cat because many people who come to me with head injuries or concussion, uh, I mean, or um tick-borne illness, right, or other types of infectious disease, including strep, you know, um, we, we know that when you hit your head and you have a head injury, it's known that you're going to have, you very much can have a personality change, but we're not making these connections in mental health. We're not, you know, they're landing in psychologist's office, they're landing in psychiatrist's office, and nobody is explaining anything to them. And it's probably because honestly, I'm going to tell you that my peers don't know this stuff, nor do they often care to know this stuff. Um, and we're doing such a disservice to people, you know, um, you know, my work and part, you know, I've been helping people for 30 years, reduce and reverse mental health symptoms. And and, you know, it's using science, it's hacking into the neuroscience. And yes, people still, you know, people, I work with people all over the world remotely and, you know, people still fly in and come into me in person. And um, we luckily we were only closed down for a few weeks during COVID. And, you know, there's just so much that you can do. And people are not aware of it. They're not understanding that there's so much more root causes than, you know, than an early trauma. Or like I said, the bio, you know, the biochemistry, we think everything is 100% genetic. That is just absolutely a complete falsehood perpetuated by great marketing from pharma. Um, And people have bought into it because they then believe that there's a pill that's going to be a quick fix, right? Who doesn't want to feel better quick? Right. Um, Regardless of whether it's genetic or not, it's about creating change within our nervous system to to improve. Right. To create success for yourself, to create success for your kids, to really just feel good about yourself and within your own body. Yeah. I also have a, a background in psychology. That's what I was doing before. And since I, I was not a psychiatrist, I could not give medication. There's a lot right. of times where I'm just like, this is a health issue. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong here. You should not be here. But, so you know, true, they don't right? teach us. They don't teach us like what to do or to refer them no. to a psychiatrist. And then they go to a psychiatrist, they just get a medication. They don't get any treatment for no. 
the concussion or the Lyme or whatever yeah. might be the underlying cause. Absolutely. You know, and you know, I get so many concussed patients, right? And your concussion could be 20 years before. And, you know, I use a treatment called neurofeedback, which regulates the brain waves. Um, and then by through the regulation of brain waves, it's about dysregulated states. So when we start saying behavior is a result of dysregulated areas of the brain, so your frontal lobes are sluggish, well, you're going to look ADD. If your frontal lobes are having a looping pattern, you're going to look anxious. You might have OCD. You might be angry. Right? Um, and then there's areas, right? That, so we know if areas are overworking or underworking, the structure, I can see, not only see the structures, but what's happening over the structures. I can actually see brain communication through a QEG brain map. And it just takes the guesswork. You're like, this is exactly what's going on. And that's how I often get concussion. People will come to me and they're like, I definitely did not have a brain injury. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and all the lights are there flashing, like your friend, like I, I recovered. They told me I recovered and I'm just bipolar. And it's like, wait a second, you had zero symptoms before you have a head injury. We know that head injuries completely can change your personality and mood. And now you're diagnosed with bipolar. That's not real bipolar. That's post-concussion or TBI, you know? So I use neurofeedback to get the, the brainwaves regulated, which impacts the neurotransmitters, as well as takes you out of a hyper-stress-activated state and regulates your autonomic nervous system and gets you into this relaxed state. And when that happens... One, your brain is working efficiently, optimized. You can you can think more clearly, you can feel more clearly, and then take action more clearly. But your system isn't hijacked in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so important because once your nervous system is hijacked, you know nothing's going to happen. You're not going to be able to think. Your your immune system's not going to work properly, and it really is truly a barrier to any type of mental health or physical healing. And that one pill isn't going to fix that. It's just not. And then you have to learn new behaviors and new actions, even for your friend. That is a physically and emotionally traumatic experience. So, you know, therapy is about learning um, and helping her regulate when she is feeling so irritated, right? Because her mood is so up and down. She's, she's not doing it on purpose. But when you spend an extended amount of time doing any one behavior, your subconscious forms habits. So you've got to unwind those habits. And, and that's where people need to get rid of the thought that, you know, oh, if I just take this pill, even if you feel better from the pill, you've got to do some work to change those subconscious habits. And again, no shame, no blame. This is neuroscience. We know exactly how the brain learns. Let's use that to put in healthy habits that bring joy to people's lives and make them feel happier and calmer and, you know, maybe even just 20% less irritated, right? You know, so many positive things can happen when we, when we come in to every treatment related to mental health with neuroscience informing it. When I reached out to you initially, you said that there was a connection with hormonal imbalances and Lyme disease. And yep. what is that? Yeah. So such a fascinating thing. So, you know, um, particularly for women, Kat, um, Lyme disease can get in any organ, 
right? So we can get in the brain and you're going to see cognitive symptoms. You're going to see neuropsychiatric symptoms, right? So cognitive like brain fog, trouble learning. I have lots of people who lose the ability to read. Um, and then psychiatric like mood disorder or anxiety. OCD is a real common one. Um, but it also can get into things like the bladder, right? It can get into the uterus. Um, there's, you know, 25% of cardiac patients have a tick-borne illness, right? That's through research. And that's surprising for a lot of people. What do you mean? Yeah, well, tick-borne illness can affect your heart. So it can also get in and disrupt your hormones. And for anybody who is on this hormone continuum, just normal hormone changes, whether it's a young girl or somebody like me, you're in your 40s and 50s and you're you're in a perimenopause stage, you know exactly what it's like to have fluctuating hormones. But when it's tick-borne illness, it's that and more. And so things like endometriosis can occur, um, a premenstrual period disorder can occur where you have a mood disorder at every cycle. And it can be quite, you know, it, it literally can get into any part of your hormones. And if you go back to this, you know, hyperstress activated nervous system and, and being in a, what's called a sympathetic dominant state, when you're in this state, right, which occurs automatically when you face a stressor, but people who have chronic medical conditions, chronic stress or mental health issues, your system is living there, right? And that means you don't have a lot of wiggle room for things because all the troops, including your hormone system, your immune system, your neurotransmitters, everything camps out over here trying to figure out why your stress hyperactivated and you lose all these resources, right? So then normal uh, hormone imbalances occur. Maybe, maybe that leads to a thyroid problem, right? Maybe that leads to weight gain. Maybe it leads to weight loss. Um, but hormones are really important um, and we need our hormone system to work properly for our brain to work properly, not just our actual physical system working, but really how we're thinking and feeling. We have a lot of people in, I'm in Florida. Yeah. So a lot of people in Florida, um, my husband does functional medicine and acupuncture and he gets a lot of Lyme patients. Yes. And we have a terrible time trying to refer them to someone to give them the antibiotics in Florida. Yeah. They're just, right. they refuse to believe that it's in Florida. My my question is, if you're in one of those places where you cannot yeah. find a doctor to give you the long-term antibiotics, are there any options for you? Yeah. So first of all, there are places like including Canada where it's forbidden to give you long-term antibiotics. And if you try to get long-term antibiotics for your child with PANS or PANDAS, you literally will be arrested. You know, it is not possible. So you have to go out of the country. So there are practitioners in every state. And I have I get a lot of Florida patients. <laughs> So I know how hard it is, Kat, to find somebody who will there who will treat you. So first of all, there is a state association for Lyme disease, and and um, they are on Facebook, and you, I would message them. Um, the other thing is, I'm a member of um, ILADS, um, a very special member of ILADS because they only usually let medical people in. It was really hard for me to get in. I had to, you know, be working and and you know, um, be a mental health advocate about Lyme disease for 20 years before they let me in. And so you can contact ILADS 
and you can um, give them your information and they will send you a list of trusted providers. Um, other organizations that that will give you a list of providers include um, Epidemic Answers, all one word, dot org. Um, and then Pans and Pandas, which I'll mention, um, you can go to aspire.care for a list of providers there. My best advice, which is I know exactly what you're doing, Kat, is, is to find a provider. And, you know, your husband's in functional medicine, and I'm going to give send you my friend who trains practitioners and to diagnose and train and treat Lyme disease because that's important. We need more providers doing this. Um, and, you know, my friend is a leader and actually the former president of ILAD. So, you know, the, this is what has to happen, right? Like I'm on a mission eventually, right? I'm working more on the, the you know, individual level to get information out. But um, I do have a special certification to offer continuing education credits to mental health professionals. And I will be doing more training in this area for them. I also want to talk to you about pans and pandas. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. So, you know, pans and pandas uh, and autoimmune encephalopathy, they are three d- disorders that are different, but have the same source. And so it's when an infectious uh, disease or toxic agent um, causes the body to have a misdirected immune response which produces a ton of inflammation, and then the body, um, it, it causes neurocognitive, neuropsychiatric issues, as well as physical problems. Pans and pandas require a sudden onset or a deep acceleration of a previous uh, pre-existing condition. I'll talk about that. And autoimmune encephalopathy is more of a slow waxing and waning kind of start. Like, you know, oh, I started with some headaches. And then, and then I got brain fog. Oh, and then I had some OCD, but it was very, very, um, it wasn't an overnight. Where PANDAS is from strep, PANS is any infectious or toxic trigger and is much more common because most people, once you get one infection, you're going you're gonna to get a bunch because your immune system is broken down and sort of everything sort of gets in there. And especially if you've had something that broke the blood-brain barrier, it's sort of like everything activates at once. So you can have Epstein-Barr, microplasma pneumonia, and uh, COVID. And then boom, and then you have psychiatric symptoms. And you know the symptoms that you see, Kat, very much fall into the world of Lyme since, since, you know, tick-borne illness is one of the most common sources of pans and pandas, certainly not the only one. Um, but you know, you can see everything from physical and motor ticks, OCD, restricted eating, separation, anxiety, uh, frequent urgency of the bladder. These are some of the most common things, anxiety, depression, rage, um, and then you can see things like a loss of skills, so motor functioning, um, regressive behaviors, handwriting. It's a real common, like all of a sudden they lose their handwriting. And it used to be the P stands for pediatric onset. It is no longer the standard. This can be an adult onset. And I'm really glad that they're doing that because I get people every day where like they get bitten by a tech and then, you know, they have OCD where... 
they're afraid that they're going to harm other people or they're stuck, you know, organizing their shelves all day or they're hoarding. And it's literally like just overnight. Um, so that's what pans and pandas is. The, the difference between pans and pandas and lime really isn't much and they need to merge. Um, I'd say the biggest difference with pans and pandas is actually the mother's of kids with pans and pandas, including myself. Because when I say that these are a group of women who have organized themselves and are pushing legislation and educating people, these are some amazing mamas. And they are really out there educating because, you know, people don't know. They don't know that their kid all of a sudden, you know, if you're, if you have a sudden onset of a mental health problem, Something is really wrong. This doesn't mean it's schizophrenia or some other thing. It could be, but you don't just overnight get OCD. You don't just overnight um, hate your parents and have rage. I don't care if you're 15. It's just not normal. And you need to consider this is a very common um, issue. It's one out of every 100 and two, 150 to 200 kids now the research says has pans or pandas. So what should a person do? What's the first step if they think they have Lyme, tick-borne disease, or pans, pandas? I mean, the number one thing you need to do is you need to find somebody literate. I mean, if you were bitten by a tick and you have symptoms, you know, fever, rash, get in, go to urgent care, get something, get antimicrobials. I don't care where you stand on this. And so, you know, antimicrobials, there's there's three parts of treatment in pans and pandas. And so it's anti, you know, anti-infection, antimicrobial, antiviral, and it's, it's um, anti-inflammatory, and then it's behavioral mental health. And you can't shorten change that. But if you have Lyme and you're in that early stage, you know, get 30 days of antibiotics. Please know I'm not an MD and you want to seek phys- care from a trained physician, but we know that a spirochete takes 28 days. And if you know you're a bit and you have immediate symptoms, I remember my friend, he, her son literally had head to toe spirochetes. I mean, um, you know, the bullseye, head, head to toe, head to toe, everywhere, all over. It looked like they were painted on. And, you know, what did they want to do? Give them two weeks of antibiotics. And I was like, you get in there and you were like, this kid isn't sleeping, this kid's not, and you make sure you get 30 days so that you put it to rest because nobody, nobody wants to see the suffering of a loved one from infectious disease. The financial cost, the emotional toll is... If I sat here and told you what we went through, you you it would be a lifetime freaking movie. I mean, you would never want to hear it. And I am no different from all the other people who have pans and pandas and Lyme. I'm just out here talking about it. That's it. That's the only difference from between me and them, you know. And because um, when it comes down to it, doesn't matter from Dr. Roseanne. I have you know this PhD and that master's, two master's degrees and this certification. I'm I'm Max and John Carlos' mom. That's who I am. And as my husband would say, the wife of Chris Hodge. So, (laughs) you know, so that's really the bottom line. And so, you know, I do this because I want to create this ripple effect where people are like, this sounds like my kid. This sounds like me. Maybe I need to get treated, you know. On average, Kat, typically a person's coming to me 
even for young kids, I'm typically the 10th person or beyond. It is not unusual for somebody to have seen more than 20 providers before they get to me. I mean, that's not acceptable. That is not okay, you know? Especially we know so much about tick-borne illness, and yet there is such a, a friction about it, right? Like, and so in the early 90s, cat, they always used to give long-term antibiotics. They would give you two months. They would give you things. And when you look at the research, which is amazing, right? Um, I heard a guy who, Dr. Stephen Phillips, he does some great presentations. He wrote a book called Chronic. And um, he talks about how there's an inverse relationship. So, so you'll see the 90s, because um, tick-borne illness ain't new people, you'll see that they used to give long-term antibiotics and then the rates of Lyme were low. As we've decreased the rate of antibiotics, the rates of Lyme, chronic Lyme, have gone up. So we can't say there is, we can say there's a relationship. We can't say it's causal. Um, but I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. So I, I, you know, and please know once you have long-term antibiotics, what the research says, I mean, long-term Lyme, the research says that, um, that, out of University of New Haven, Dr. Evie Sappy, S-A-P-I, that the herbal antimicrobials are as effective as doxycycline. So we need to broaden it. And your husband is a functional practitioner and he knows exactly what I'm talking about, that there is a whole world. We need to take the best of Eastern and the best of Western. That's why it's called integrative care. And we need to use that for every medical condition that people have. So can someone get better without maybe traditional antibiotics and just herbal antibiotics? I see it every day, but the number, the biggest barriers to healing, um, is, is absolutely not what you think. (laughs) The biggest barrier to healing is that stress activated nervous system. So I work with people who are getting the best care. I mean, we're talking top experts and then these top experts will say, you're not getting better with me. You got to go see Roseanne. Um, she's got a special thing that she does. And really what it is, is I, get them to stop the stress activation of the nervous system, whether it's from the stress from the chronic disease, a past emotional or physical trauma that's getting in their way, because guess what? Everybody, your subconscious is running the show. That and improper detoxification are the two biggest barriers. Now, my top you know, pants, pandas, and Lyme people are all addressing these detoxification pathways that are getting sort of clogged up. And if you just think about this from a common sense perspective, you know, if you're not clearing the toxins or their waste products, where are they going to go, people? They're going to go back into the organs and your brain is an organ. So, and a stress activated nervous system causes inflammation, reduces the gut um, you know, the gut bacteria, which is equally as important as the bacteria and the neurotransmitters that occur in your gut are almost equal to what's in your brain. So there's, there's whole cascade of negativity that happens. So when we switch that and we calm that nervous system, which I typically do with neurofeedback, biofeedback, and something called PEMF and very specific type of PEMF, um, as well as really specific types of psychotherapy, um, not talk therapy, talk therapy is a waste of time until your nervous system is not as activated. And then you really create change. But the, the herbals, um, 
you know, anecdotally and, you know, for my patients and my own child, they're game changers. And, and again, we have this great research from Dr. Evie Sappy really showing us how effective and in comparison to the most common antibiotic doxycycline they can be. So, um, and what I love about herbals is they will target specific bacteria without as much of a killing off of good bacteria, right? Because when you take an antibiotic, it kills everything, but the herbals do less collateral damage. How can neurofeedback help with Lyme and tick-borne disease? And can it also help with hormonal imbalances? Yeah. Um, so neurofeedback is something I'm really passionate about. And, and you know, uh, my patients led me to neurofeedback. I did Definitely did a research study on graduate school because back in the day when I went and looked at microfiche, it came up as one of the top um, things that really changed mental health. And I just didn't have access to somebody who can train me at it at that time. And, and, you know, probably, I don't know how many years after graduation, within like six or seven years, I had my first patient who went and got it. And I just got to see how transformative his life was. And so, you know, what is it? How does it work? How does it can help? And really, really simply what neurofeedback is, it's a way, as I mentioned earlier, to regulate the brain. And we're all struggling with regulating our brain functioning just due to everyday life and, you know, stress. I mean, who isn't stressed in the middle of the pandemic? I mean, there's no way, even if you don't feel stressed, everybody else is so damn stressed, that's stressing you out. You know what I mean? I'm like, if I have one more person try to like rip my head off for absolutely nothing, right? Because people are just so stressed out, they're on edge. Um, so what happens is, you know, with neurofeedback, it's it's using technology, nothing comes through the wires. And I typically do what I call this brain map where I look at um, the formation of brain waves. Um, if somebody's local, if somebody's not, like I have clients in Asia, we do uh, statistical averages. We do a brain check and I'm able to read raw data and, and I can tell the health of the brain waves based on these averages. And so you get some information, people, not guesswork. You get some information, right, which is not what people do in mental health. They like to do a lot of guessing called the DSM. And... <laughs> And you then make a protocol. And so here's what neurofeedback looks like. So if you can imagine somebody is sitting in front of a computer and you are hooked up to sensors that measure your brain waves, there's nothing that comes across these wires. And your brain, within two to three seconds of the first time you're hooked up, will recognize that if it increases and decreases certain brain waves, it will get this darn movie to play. It will get visual feedback, auditory feedback, and it desperately wants this. And again, will change itself within two to three seconds. So in two to three seconds from the first time you're hooked up, or you can be three and a half, you can be 80 years old, 80 plus years old, whatever you want to do. If you're 90 and you want to come in, come on, let's do it, right? Because it's going to help your brain. Um, what what your brain will do is it will instantaneously start producing the exact healthy combination of brain waves. It just can't sustain it. So it requires two to three sessions a week to really create that change. And nobody is doing less than 20 sessions. Most people are doing on average about 40 sessions because just like working out, you got to put some effort into it. But we know um, that 
through research, it's lasting. It produces lasting change. Uh, research as far as 10 years out show that people sustain the changes and in fact often get better. And, it, and it's used for everything, symptoms that are, that are related to anxiety, OCD, depression. I do a lot of work on pans and pandas and Lyme. I am the only person who's done a, an approved training for the international board. Um, you People can go there who are practitioners and want to learn more about it. Um, but I teach others about it and I'm that experienced in it. I've worked with thousands of people with infectious disease. Um, and it's, it's an amazing tool because it regulates a nervous system and it clinically changes those brain waves that are essentially almost getting hung up cat. So how does it help with medical problems. So if you go back to this hyper stress activated nervous system, we know that if you're in a fight, flight, or freeze, it is literally physiologically impossible to heal. This is called psychoimmunology. Okay. And so it's the, it's the brain, um, you know, it's basically the stress effect on the brain is essentially what psychoimmunology is. What happens to your immune system? What happens to your brain and body? And so when we regulate the central nervous system, and in this case, a neurofeedback, we go one step further, we're actually changing brain waves, right? Um, what's going to happen? Your, your soldiers are like, hey, we can go back to the main camps and they can start doing its work. So if there's hormone dysregulation, like I do a lot of work with hormone related depression and anxiety. Um, I also do a lot of work with people who are in adrenal um, you know, depletion. Um, and, and as I noted, I work with tons of people who have an impact of, of toxicity and effect in, and, uh, infectious disease. And, you know, it is really a, a magical thing when it really starts to allow the body to heal. So it's not healing the body. It lets the body do its work. I have a lot of friends who go horseback riding and yeah. I swear every single one of them comes with either like MS-like symptoms or Lyme symptoms, relapsing fever, mental health issues. And I just think horses, it's like one of those things that the upper yeah. class people do yeah. yeah, and they're just like giving their children Lyme. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's such a hard thing, Kat, because it's like, you don't want to say, don't go out in the world. You just want to say, be careful, right? It's like, you know, it's like anything else in life, right? You know, you are prone. I, I, I work with clients of, you know, of all income levels. And I have had a lot of head injuries from, um, you know, people that are into horses, right? Um, and so I think the thing that people have to realize is you have to protect yourself if you're using, you know, you're on horses, you know, horses have ticks. I mean, you know, buffalo and moose have ticks. I mean, you know, so we just can't be naive, like, oh, I've been bitten, I'm fine. And and people, you know, you have to look at like, do I have anxiety? Do I have problems in learning? Do I, you know, and, and sometimes it's hard to see where it began, right? You know, I am often, from the earliest times of practice, people refer to me as a detective because, you know, we can only connect the dots looking back, right? And I'm sure your husband would say the same thing. You start to put the pieces together and, you know, why do I do such an amazing job of putting the pieces together? Because I'm a holistic person. I look at everything, mind, body, spirit, 
I look at every factor and I look at how they're connected. We are a symptom-driven society where we go, oh, you have this, you have that. You know, here, here's a great story. Um, you know, my mom has, you know, terminal bone cancer and um, she fell, was thrown from a golf cart. I mean, thrown at a high rate of speed. How she didn't die or break anything only only possibility is somebody above was literally cushioning her fall. So she went into the doctor because a few months later, what happens? She starts losing her teeth and she still has scratches all over her face. I mean, she had road rash. Do you know that nobody said, is this from your fall? They all assumed it was bone cancer in her mouth. And nobody said, why do you have scratches, right? Now, I wasn't at these appointments because it was COVID, right? And I just assumed that my family would have said, hey, she had this fall. Is this from this fall? So until the, all of a sudden my brother and mother said, "We do they is could this be from the fall? Until they said it, nobody put it together, right? She literally went from professional, 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 and not one freaking person asked her what happened to her face. Is this unusual? I, I don't think so. <laughs> A lot of people have these issues and, right. you know, the medical system, they, they just don't ask the questions. I had um, – my father was in the hospital and he had uh, – they were giving him medication for prostate cancer or something like that. And then we're like, but he – his prostate was removed. How come you didn't know that we we told you? And they're just, they're just like, oh, well, they don't check. Yeah. It's a scary thing when you think about that people aren't that out there – making connections. And, you know, what I have seen in these 30 years of mental health is like parents and patients are, I've had enough. I'm going to do this myself. And, and, you know, that's what I do in my book. It's going to be okay. I, I lay out the exact eight pillars to reduce and reverse mental health symptoms and 40 pages of research citations, single spaced, um, so that you can feel good, right? I, I, And you can trust what's in there and you can take action, right? Like it's in there, do it and, and you know, march in there and say, hey, uh, you know, I heard magnesium reduces stress and um, 300 cofactors in the body, you know, it, it, it's needed for 300 chemical practices in the body as a cofactor. Why didn't you tell this to me? <laughs> You know, and, you know, rise up. I mean, that's what's happening is people are rising up. up. They have had enough of being, you know, they're sick and tired of it. And we are a sick care system. We are not a health care system. We are not a well care system. We are perpetuating sickness and we are not educating people about lifestyle changes. Like people come into me every day. They're so happy with the changes. Then they get mad. Then they get mad. They went down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And, you know, it's just such an unbelievable thing. Like for, for the people to trust me, they're like, how could these natural things be so effective? Why wouldn't my doctor tell me about it? This is a conversation I have to have every day. And we've, we've indoctrinated ourselves. The people that break out of that, you know, it's typically because they've had a personal experience where they say, you know, wait a second, like, you know, my friend hit her head and then she was diagnosed with this, this, and this. Oh, and then she went and got neurofeedback and now she's totally regulated and normal. Like clearly this wasn't 
bipolar, she's got a head injury. Not that I don't treat bipolar in and of itself, but um, you're never going to fix, you're never going to improve somebody's mental health at a level that's going to be normal if they, the source is a head injury, but it looks like bipolar. You're just not going to improve it to that level. So let's get to the root cause and let's treat it. We have complete ability in mental and physical health to understand the underlying causes, even if it's genetic, right? Even if it's neurotransmitter imbalance, we have saliva testing that can tell you exactly what your neurotransmitter imbalance is. I mean, why isn't every psychiatrist using that? That's criminal. That's terrible. So, you know, I want people to be aware of these things so that they can create change, you know, and have joy in their lives because we are not a joyful society. Yeah, 100%. I'm right there with you, especially since a lot of my audience, they have things like PCOS, female hormonal imbalances, endometriosis, autoimmune diseases. And these are the people who have gone doctor to doctor to doctor, been told that their labs are perfectly fine. Right. And they say no. And that's why they're here. I mean, one of the top things you can do for yourself is to listen to podcasts get great information, right? You know, and, you know, because we're censored in a lot of ways, right? When you do this, like, you know, I have a very successful business and, um, you know, I didn't have to get out there and push the limits. You know, I have taken a lot of flack from uneducated peers. I mean, the great thing about me is, again, anything I do is science-based. So I always have science and research to back it up. And it's really important that I continue on that path because we need people to understand on both sides. We need the treaters to understand, but we need the patients to um, also understand and believe and have hope that they can get better, that these things are super effective um, and that change can start within them. They don't have to put the the medical doctor, you know, the MD on the top of this period. Not that there aren't great MDs out there, but unless they're getting functional training, you know, they don't have an awareness of this stuff. You know, I went and got trained your husband went and got trained and, and that's how we did this. I mean, I, there wasn't even training available 30 years ago. There were books and I would memorize books on homeopathy, nutrition, you know, um, and then, you know, then the books online started coming out and I would memorize them and, you know, and just different theories started to come out that had a lot of science behind them. Right. So, um, so that's really important that people realize that, that, you know, there really are science backed ways to improve your hormones, um, you know, and that, are the your provider has to understand the nuances of testing when it comes to thyroid and hormones you know two people can look at labs and see it very differently and it's based on experience so true and what are some ways that people can work with you yeah so first of all I'm Dr. Roseanne everywhere and that's R O S E A N N and then it's D R R O S E A N N and you can go to drrosanne.com um that on TikTok, YouTube, um Instagram. Um and you can go to drrosanne.com. We work with people in person, virtually, 
You can buy my book on it's going to be okay.com and you have some free gifts when you enter in a receipt there. And then, um, and then we also have, um, a, an amazing program. It's the get unstuck parenting program. And then it comes with a raising kids community. It's very affordable. It's less than a dollar a day for both. And you can go to, um, get unstuck program.com for that. It's all on my website, Dr. Roseanne, all these things, just go to drroseanne.com and get started. Awesome. So thank you so much for being with us here today. And I'm also putting everything in the show notes so everyone can go check you out. So is there anything else you would like to leave the audience with? Yeah, I would just say, you know, never give up. Always see yourself being well or your child being well and really just have belief and hope. Um, And, you know, find a trusted provider and believe that natural therapies are effective. I mean, because they really are. And, you know, just get off this psychiatric medication train, you know, and, you know, just believe and and take action and stick with it and have persistence. And, you know, there's no way you can't improve your symptoms. You just have to find that thing that works for you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to Feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products. And definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.